Hey folks, welcome back to the Go Time Podcast. For episode two with Mike Green, founder of Green Ops, and also a pro staff for on this pro, pro staff for Sons of Liberty Gunworks. Also, producer and co-host of, uh, or host and co-producer of Trigger Time TV. Um, really cool, extensive background in special forces and firearms. And um, it was really refreshing to find out more about what our young fighting guys are, are like nowadays. That um, was something I was really interested in too, that uh, what, are, what are our young military men like today? Are, are, have, has, the, uh, has the phone taken over their life like it has the rest of us? And, and in an adverse way, adverse way. Um, and actually it was surprising to hear. Um, and his take on the young men today, oh, gave me hope. Really, um, I love that. And, um, and it was refreshing. But uh, I, I can't wait for you guys to hear it too. Um, great outlook on um, life and a really cool insight into um, that job. And how it correlates to horses and shoot life in general. So here we go, episode two, Mike Green. Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. The meeting place of industry leaders, elite athletes, and game-changing individuals from around the world. Here we explore the grit, guts, and mental fortitude required to succeed in business, competition, and life that you've been looking for. So stop looking and start listening. It's Go Time with Brendan O'Reilly and Todd Martin. Well, so we were talking earlier about how um, young, like the younger guys coming up and you're seeing, you know, that's refreshing to me. But at the same time, it's not shocking, right? The old saying that there's nothing new under the sun that, you know, yeah, I remember looking back and going, you know, my dad going, you guys are, you know, that's all you do is watch TV, whatever it is that we were doing and the knuckle things that, you know, we had. But there is a lot more knowledge about, you know, at the readily available to them that they can find out and learn from. Um, so that's kind of nice to know is that there's the young guys are or that, that there's still those guys out there. I think there's a lot of them that though, unless you're just that's your thing, right, is, you know, wanting to learn about military or being young enough to where you're it's something you were drawn to as a teenager you know, being whether it's ROTC and whatever else. Um, but if you're not drawn to it, you don't, you don't really understand the purpose in some of that stuff. Yeah. And the, the intriguing thing to me um, about the special forces and the Green Berets, right, in particular, is that, um, that their job was to empower other foreign people to be able to fight for their own freedom. Yeah. It, we never, you guys don't, your job wasn't to go over there and just, you know, take care of business and then, you know, haul out. You spent time in other countries actually empowering the people from there 
to be able to fight for their own freedom. It wasn't like you were going and instituting new democracy or whatever else, but you were actually going in there. And if you saw where someone, I think that's what now, right now, I think there's a, there's a disconnect on understanding what it means to be an American and what our duty is as being the superpower that it's not, we're going in, we've never gone in and conquered another nation and made them American. We've gone and when we saw somebody who was less than it didn't have, or was being taken advantage of, or, you know, being hurt, we would come in as the superpower that you're the stronger guy in the neighborhood. You were not the bullies, but we're the ones that come and defend those who can't defend themselves. And then your job was how to empower those people and how to give them back their own power to be free or to work towards that if that's their desire and give them the tools to be able to do so. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, prior to nine 11, you know, we did uh, FID and JSET missions, which uh, were, you know, just, just that we'd go to foreign countries, we train their militaries, you know, teach them to operate uh, independently and to, you know, be able to survive, um, defend themselves or their countries against uh, external attacks and stuff like that. Um, you know, all the way from, you know, basic light infantry stuff to, you know, teaching, you know, their tier one units and stuff like that, counterterrorism type stuff, um, just different missions, you know. Um, and again, you know, a lot of that, you know, the, the, the subcomponents of that is maybe, you know, we send a team in to help with medical stuff or, yeah. you know, augment some of the, um, you know, uh, the team building, uh, maybe bring in a civil affairs unit to help build schools and stuff like that. Um, but there was always that presence and then trying to, um, you know, help and assist. You know, now people look at it as, you know, uh, you know, taking over or some type of imperialism or, you know, some type of, uh, you know, empire building. Right. But, uh, you know, like, for example, you know, World War Two, you know, Japan and uh, Germany, you know, you know, if people wanted to point to an example of, OK, well, did, did we colonize? Did we, you know, make uh, Germany and Japan empires of the U.S.? No. And if you look at it now, you know, uh, people are talking about pulling out of Afghanistan. But, you know, when was the last time we pulled troops out of uh, anywhere? Anyway, like, when, did we close bases, our our military bases in Germany and Japan or Korea? No, they're still there. Um, we didn't colonize. We didn't take, those aren't part of the U.S. empire or anything like that, you know, right. because it doesn't exist. But if you look at Germany, who has the strongest um, economy in Europe right now? The Germans. Hmm. Who are some of the most technologically advanced culture as far as, uh, you know, technology cars and stuff like that it's japan you know you know we don't we don't sit there and, and, and rule those places you know but what we did do is that we mentored those places for well about 20 years um they would say now oh that's your puppet government well no you know we you had, you had to teach them what's right you know yeah um and so that's one thing i think the failure of afghanistan was is that we um we didn't advise and mentor their leadership we just said okay we took over and then we told their uh their president hey you can do whatever you want well they made bad decisions you know um uh, cars i'd stopped us from doing night raids and stuff like that um 
you know, um, there was too much influence. There was too much corruption still. And so that's why you need more of a mentorship program of say, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that. I worked with, uh, uh, in Iraq, I worked with military officers there who basically said, hey, as soon as you leave, we're gonna go back to doing what we do. Uh, we're gonna take bribes from all of our soldiers. We're gonna make them pay us for being in this unit and stuff like that. And I'm like, but when you're here giving us that oversight, we're not doing that. And that takes time because eventually you wanna to get to the point where the next generation of Iraqis come in and say, hey, that's not right for us to take bribes. It's not right for us to have these people come in and pay us to be in these units. Uh, but it was okay for us to do it in Germany and Japan uh, we just implemented it wrong or improperly in uh, in Afghanistan. Iraq. It just continues to be something that's um, that be that's like a political point. Yeah, to and, where and, they want they're they're wanting to pull it out or go back. And I you know I guess part of that in Germany would be that once Germany was conquered at that point, had we walked away, it would have been like complete chaos. Yeah. They were they would fallen apart right. because of their leadership. It would be much like Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And you would have allowed that to come and yeah. and do that to Germany, but instead, yeah. that's not because we were there to, you know, tell them how they were gonna, you know, what type of a government to run, yeah. but to help them out to educate them. Yeah, and and help them build back up for the sake of humanity. Yeah. It's to our benefit to be able to do that, but not because of we're trying to do a, more of a of a governmental power it's to empower people because it's our response you know it's funny there's a, a, i had a, uh the first uh, i way back when i first started training and i got the opportunity to go and do some clinics over in europe and teach other people how to train horses over in in uh, denmark and then i did some um my first one was in in uh, sweden oh nice and um it crazy story behind that because you know, I was just a skinny kid from Marion that you know little town my graduating class was 56 I hadn't been I mean I went I've been out of the country but it'd been you know across the border in Mexico to go drink beer at the Corona Club uh, <laughs> that was my you know extent of getting out of the country right and, and so that I I got my first trip over to Sweden to do a clinic and it was just I was culture shock you know I flew into to Heathrow Airport and it was like you know what yeah, yeah. like it was just you know guys walking around with dresses on and mini skirts which is joking that you know they had you know Scottish guys with kilts on yeah. <laughs> and I was like dudes are wearing mini skirts you know and they're all staring at me because I have a cowboy hat on right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I was the odd man right and I got on a plane to fly. Uh, I can't, it was from, from Heathrow to, uh, to Sweden. And I sat next to these two girls and they were, you know, talking back and forth. And I think they were actually, I think they were from France. They were speaking French or whatever. I had no idea what they were saying. Right. And, um, and I'm sitting there by the window and whatever, and they're talking back and forth, talking back and forth. And they'd look over at me and they'd talk back and forth and they'd look over at me and talk back and forth. And, and this was in like the nineties. Right. And so, um, I can't remember what exactly what was going on, but you know, Bush was hated at the time or some kind of deal, whatever. And, and they asked me, says, uh, where are you from? And, uh, and I said, uh, I'm from Texas. And they're like, Oh, you're a real cowboy. <laughs> and I said, well, you've obviously never been to Austin. There's hardly anybody there that's a real cowboy. Um, but, uh, it's funny cause it's the most disarming thing I've ever experienced in going anywhere 
is if you have a cowboy hat on, you're welcome anywhere, yeah. right? I mean, not all Americans are welcome everywhere, but if you've got a cowboy hat on, it is the most it is the most welcoming thing anywhere yeah. you're at, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so I was talking to him, and they were like, "Well, what do you think about your your president? You know, and and you like him?" And I said, "Well, yeah, you know, I like him." And they were like, "What do you think about what he's doing and and whatnot?" And and I said, "Well." In the analogy that I gave them, I was that, you know, what would you do and what would he expect it of you if you saw your neighbor across the street, out in the front yard, beating his wife? Would you be the kind of person that would go out and intervene for her? Or would you be the one that would close the curtains and just let them have it? Right? And I said, and he's continuing to beat on her and she's sitting out there screaming. Right? She can't defend herself. She's a small lady. Right? What kind of guy are you? And I said, that's what kind of guy I am, is that I would go out there and I would stop it, right? Because that's what I should do. Not because because I have the ability to do it. Now, if I'm a 10-year-old boy, maybe I ought to think about that because yeah. I don't know. But you know what? I'm not. I'm a full-grown man. And because I have the ability to be able to go and defend her for what's, what's happening, whether I know whether she should be or not, that's not mine to decide. That shouldn't be happening no matter what, right? So that's the kind of, that's my responsibility as a man, yeah. right? And that's what I see as what's going on. Now, the politics and whatever else, I'm not the kind of guy and, you know, the Green Beret is not the one that is in the role of politics, you don't go over and you never went over to any other country because you thought that you needed to, you know, institute democracy or whatever else. You went over there because we had, as a superpower, had the ability to be able to defend somebody who shouldn't be put in that position because there's somebody being a bully, yeah. right? And so you go in and you help that guy and you help him to learn how to get himself in a position to be able to defend himself. I'm like, that's the what it's about. And she's like, well, you don't think that they're, they're you know, going over there to, you know, you know, institute, you know, your own democracy. And I said, if that was the case, yeah. you wouldn't be speaking French. Yeah. And, and you know, you people know? think that they think that we want to colonize, that we want to empire build and that we want to take their oil. I mean, we got no oil out of uh, Iraq. And, no. You know, it's unfortunate because I personally think that we should have taken oil. Out of Iraq. <laughs> You're going to pay for a little bit of it. <laughs> you know, the crazy part, though, too, is that I'm sure that there's some backdoor deals that the politicians are doing because yeah. I don't, and I don't, I can't, that's the, that's the one that I can't stand yeah. is the, is the politicians. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what we were supposed to, what we have, why you joined right. when, when you did. And, and many of guys that I know that I grew up with, why we joined and ones after me that joined because of 9-11, that was like, that's because what we're supposed to be able to do and why we're doing it yeah. and that's the reason why we've been there 18 years is because if we had pulled out you know five years after it would have been a, a, about yeah. the mess that we're in right now right you know exactly. and because it's it has to be done over time to be able to to give i think the the crime right now is the feeling that those 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds in Afghanistan are going through right now that they have not seen their country 
from that view. They've yeah. seen what we've started to help them develop. It may not be perfect. It may be far cry from what we know as freedom, right? Yeah. But they were starting to see something different, yeah. right? And when we go and leave now, our idea was to leave, not to like abandon. Right. And there's a difference yes. between being having control and, you know, if they're going to screw up or whatever, but we had, a, we had helped assist some guys over there and we, the assistance still needed to be there. Not, not this shit show that's going on now. Yeah. Um, that's the sad part. Yeah. It's a sad situation. I think all around. It really is. Yeah. And it's um, in the midst of all of that, the thing I think that is probably, gosh, it's probably the one thing that I think is, you know, for a guy that grew up the way we have and have the same kind of thinking that we have, to see the number of private individual Americans that are going over the, the, the news is not covering that, yeah. that we have a group of guys that have the skills and the knowledge to be able to go and get something done and how many thousands of Americans that our country didn't go over there and get but our private individuals are going over there and getting like, that's the crap that we're made out of. Yeah. Americans will always find a way. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we saw that and um, I think just about every place. I mean, you look at when the Israelis started bombing uh, Lebanon years ago, uh, you know, the State Department was overwhelmed, you know, because what people don't realize is how many American citizens are there. They don't obviously don't report in. Right. Um, and that's part of the issue is, you know, now the State Department's overwhelmed because they had no idea how many people were there. Uh, but there were private companies that came in, uh, paid uh, by corporations and stuff like that, that assisted and helped out. And, um, you know, that's the thing is that America, I think two things. One, uh, the government says we've got this. Well, well that's not always the case, you know. Mm -hmm. But two, um, when corporations try to help, they're usually told to stand down. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that we as Americans should say, well, we can't always rely on the government. So there should be more of a synergistic uh, assistance role per se there. You know, mm -hmm. um, More they, checks and balances. Yeah. Well, not so much checks and balances, but hey, you know, if there, there needs to be at some point someone in the government to go, you know what, if these corporations and companies want to help out, then they can't, you know. Let's go ahead and work it out. And they did. You know, I think Lebanon is a good example. The State Department worked with uh, some of those civilian companies uh, to get to help them get people out there reporting and stuff like that. Um, there was a, a lot of um, what do you call it? Like uh, K&R, uh, kidnapping and ransom companies that existed out there. There were children that were over there for school, summer schools and stuff like that. And we so, even have that over there right now in Afghanistan. Yeah, I believe so. There's like 24, 25 students and teachers from California over there and I stuff. Read something about it, but that's crazy. You know, um, our um, I mean, people were constantly going there. Like our neighbors when we lived in Virginia were from Afghanistan, and over the summer, you know, they would, they would fly back over. You know, um, but we forget that you know we have Americans here um, and people who are, um, you know, have some type of a green card that are of Afghani descent mm -hmm. and uh, you know, they're going to go back, you know? And uh, I think those are the people that, um, that we kind of forgot about, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and the state department brings up a good point, you know, like they bring up like, Hey, we, these people aren't reporting in, you know, cause you're, you should 
go to the U.S. Embassy and report in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it benefits you in so many ways because if there is an incident or something like that, then they have your contact information to let you know, hey, you need to start evacuation processes and stuff like that. Right. So if you do travel overseas, it's always a good idea. I highly recommend that you check in with uh, with the embassy or the State Department there. And if you go to the website, they'll, they'll show you how to do that. Um, and then uh, once you're there, you'll any type of alert, you'll get notified. You know, um, And that, that wasn't happening. And that's just an education process. You mm-hmm. know? Um, but um, hopefully it'll work out. You know? Yeah. It just, it's shocking to me that, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess shocking is the wrong, well, no, I guess it was kind of shocking. It's shocking that, um, that, uh, those guys, that there's, there's, that those, that there's guys out there trained spent their to lifetime you know doing it learning about it knowing and having all that knowledge and the resources and the ability to be able to do that and still jump up at the drop of a hat and it's not about money oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's not and it, i guess it's not shocking it's almost sometimes i get to a point where you know you see enough of the negative that's going around and whatever else and you forget like oh dang gum i'm not the only one that still feels this yeah, way you know yeah. I still, I'm not the only one that, you know, knows why and what we do these things for, right? Um, as connected as we all are, there's still such a disconnect, you know, sometimes yeah. too that, um, but that there are guys out there that, you know, that, that are readily available to be yeah. able to go and do it and will, and that, yeah. you know, that uh, drop of a hat, like, yeah. you know, I don't know what, like, what else are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to head over there, you know, yeah. that's impressive, you know, I mean, it's really impressive. There's Americans at all ages that are, you know, patriotic. And yeah. I think that, you know, the older generation kind of forgets about that, you know. Um, yeah. But again, there are, you know, younger folks out there that are that are interested in doing the same type of stuff, you know. So uh, they're there, you know. There's, you know, not just the older guys that are trying to get over there to help out, but there's plenty of younger folks out there that are volunteering to do the same, you know. Yeah, that's a trip. That's really cool, though. That's really cool. And it takes money that there's the ones that have the money to be able to back it, too. Yeah. I think that's something that we that we lose track of, or at least I do, um, that, you know, the, the diversity that we have in our nation, right? That, um, that uh, everybody can play that part. You know, like, so you're not trained for it, you know, so, you know, you don't have that or, you know, like, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go anywhere where there's like that many bullets flying and that many, you know, that kind of stuff. But I can support those guys that are doing that. Right. And, you know, I hide it. Well, you know what? I got resources, my resources. So how do I play that? And how do I play a part? You know, if you are patriotic and you are that kind of guy, like you have a role to play in it, too. And you just, you don't, you know, like, well, because I can't do that, I'm not a part of it. Like, no, no, no. You got a place, too. This is your country also, you know, and there's a ways to be able to support that country based on your skills. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is, uh, I made, I'd, I'd said this on the last podcast with, um, I got another guy as a horse trainer and, um, and we were talking about, he got kind of off on, on different stuff on, uh, uh, but that what the real definition of university was and, and, in, in an institute of higher learning, right? We call it a university. But the reason why it was called a university was finding unity 
mm-hmm. in our diversity. Yeah. Right. And that that we have a utilitarian way of being able to do something. I I have a skill of, you know, training horses or being able to teach. I have the ability to be able to teach and I'm kind of good at that and, and communication or whatever that is. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you know, I like, you know, shooting too, but probably don't have enough time to be able to go and do that. And that's not where my skills are at. But if I can fill in somewhere else for the guy that can, mm-hmm. and then there's another guy that has, you know, fine, but our unity is in our desire for freedom and understanding of that, right? That we all have play a part for this, the greater good of it all, right? And we all play it, you know, we have our skills and we can lend, you know, teach that. And I, and uh, that's the cool thing about, I think, on like something like the teams of, you know, like, like for uh, the Green Beret group, you wouldn't have just everybody knows the same thing. Right. You have a specialist in it that is, you know, like this guy's a medic. And he knows, you know, not just how to do that, but like he's got to be able, you know, pull teeth. He's got to be able yeah. to teach somebody else how to pull teeth because you don't want to have all your guys have, you know, you know, medical problems. That they, you know, you're losing guys left and right. Nobody's going to fight with a toothache. Right, right. You know, but you also have to be able to, you know, I don't know. It's like that's what Tim. Tim knows how to yeah. do all the crazy yeah. stuff and, you know, knows all that stuff. He'd probably do surgery on you if you needed to. Right. Um and that's cool, yeah. you know, that each one of those guys, one of them knows construction and knows how to build the schools. And, but, you know, you probably don't want him teaching your kids. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you know, right. it's a, it's a huge diverse background, you know, the demolitions, you know, destroying as long as, you know, also along with uh, building, um, you know, the weapons guys, not only do they know how to shoot guns, but, you know, they can repair guns, they can fix them, uh, you know, uh, triangulate mortars and stuff like that. Um, and the combo guys, you know, combo guys can basically not just communicate with a radio, but we'd always joke that, hey, give them uh, some string and a couple of cans and they'll uh, communicate with Mars. But uh, yeah. amazing that they can do such such great, great things and uh, with such limited resources. Hmm. Um, but it is it's um, because everybody's, you know, they have the right mindset, but they all have different backgrounds, but different training. And then there's cross trained to a certain degree, you know, but all the same objective. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and then of course you, you know, you got your, uh, you got your, your, uh, your operations and Intel guy, and then your, uh, your team sergeant and your team leader in the warrant, you know, and they all bring something to the table and, you know, there's just constantly different ideas, you know, they're not all thinking alike, you know, um, and we would always go over like SOPs or tactics and, it was basically like, hey, we're going to close the door. Team Sergeant's going to lock it and everyone's going to fight, you know, because everybody's so strongly opinionated. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing is, is that that's a good thing because you've got different opinions. And then what we would do is we'd lay out um, different courses of action, do the pros and cons. And then based on the matrix that we came up with, decide which was the best course of action, um, which may not have always been the... Uh, um, the most popular course of action, you know? Right. Um, but uh, but having that is, is unique. And then uh, the other thing is that we never, we never shied away from bringing in people from the outside. So if we had a problem set, like with firearms, we bring in top civilian shooters in the world that, to, to, hey, we need your input as far as how do we get better at shooting. Um, combatives, you know, bring the Gracie's, the Gracie's in and say, okay, how do we get better at combatives for jujitsu and, or use jujitsu in combatives, you know, um, obviously we're not having them teach us tactics, um, right? but you know, we're taking what we can learn from them and incorporating it into uh, what we did. And we did it for everything. You know, uh, we'd have 
classes we bring in um, um, there were some guys that we brought in local guys that were uh, the comms guys brought them in they were radio ham radio operators and they would yeah. teach different classes on occasion um, we would work with uh, I think I was telling you earlier like we would go to Colorado and we would work horseback riding and uh, you know how to how to set saddles on mules and stuff like that yeah you know? um, obviously we weren't you know we would go to these civilian to get more information on how it would help us out, you know? Mm. And and I think that's uh, very unique compared to the rest of the military, you know? I mean, even something as simple as driving a military vehicle. Hey, we're going to go to these off-road civilians that drive stuff off-roads and see how we can take what they have learned and done and see how we can incorporate it into driving a Humvee off-road, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, it is. It, and, and the guys, you know, gravitate towards those things and they become subject matter experts based off their interactions with these experts out there, you know? I've um, noticed that too. I've noticed like guys that came from, whether it's special forces or it's SEALs or, you know, wh whatever those, they, um, they all seem to be uh, like, ha have that desire for like seeking more knowledge yeah. about something. Like it's, ne it's never, you know, just a, an acquaintance on something and like they can delve into it. And then you see them come out on the other side and go to civilian deal where they took that specialty and, and kind of head that direction yeah. with it. And that's kind of their thing, but that's not like they don't have the knowledge of all the other, right. it's just kind of their, their kind of their thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's a it's cool stuff. It's unique. And you know, it just says something about the personalities there. Uh, everyone thinks, you know, that green berets are knuckle dragon robots. You know? <laughs> and uh, I have found that the guys I've worked with are quite the opposite. You know, it really are. Um, I've not met, ones that weren't you know weren't sharp individuals yeah. you know and you know you don't see a lot of those guys that are not employable on a lot of different oh, stuff yeah. man i mean a lot of different stuff yeah no that's that's so true it's interesting i had uh um i had a job offer to work overseas in the banking industry one time i don't know you know it was obviously it was security but yeah i thought for you know whatever reason i had no uh, background in that and then um we had a telephonic interview and they're like, you're perfect. <laughs> like, <"What?" laughs> but it's crazy because once, once they started diving into stuff that I did as a special forces guy, you know, and it's not just, you know, being a shooter or training folks, but it's also like, Hey, you know, we did some analysis and, you know, to them, that was a big deal of like, Oh, well, you know, analytical stuff. Like, yeah. You know, and one of the things that they taught us in the um, 18 Fox course, which is the special operation or special forces operations and intelligence uh, skill set, there is, uh, you know, how to do analysis, how to do link analysis, how to work, uh, you know, and do all this and bring it together and come up to, uh, you know, um, a problem, have a problem set with a solution. And to them, that was a, a huge thing. And, and I didn't realize it once they started asking more and more questions about that, you know. Um, but um, it's definitely, I think, uh, something that you see now is more and more guys that get out of special forces, you know, um, they start unique, different businesses, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it just seems to be totally unrelated to uh, to what they did while they're in the military. But the reality of it is, is it all comes back around, you know, to, uh, to what we learned in the military to be good at what we did and how to, you know, pursue that in civilian life. You know? Yeah. And, and and it is applicable in everything. It's it's adapting and overcoming whatever the obstacle that you have in front of you. Yeah. Right. I like I I think that's why I enjoy that so much is that um, 
that's kind of like jujitsu and like trying to figure out how that, how to get out of that move or how to get, you know, how to prevent that from happening. But it's also the same thing with the horse that, um, as I've gotten to a point of training where can I teach one to move off of pressure and guide here and guide there and all that stuff is great. Right. And then being able to refine it to where I can get them to do more than the average. And now I'm, you know, I can get them to perform at a high level. Um, then you get to the point where now you've got to delve into the, how to motivate them to want to do more without, to, that it's more of their desire to do it and, 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 and branching further into it. So it's now it's like, it's even getting into more of a, of a, of a challenge that now it's not just the how to get that, but then how do I convince him that he wants to do more and get in and make him happy doing it? with his job than besides just, you know, because he said so. Yeah. Right. And, um, but it's, it's the same kind of analytical, you know, like, so what's really going on here? And you can't sit back and you can't just do it just because you're going through and checking the boxes. You have to, you know, start figuring out. And it's the same thing with business is like, how do, so that's great. I got a store, you know, but how do I, now how do I make this store better? Yeah. How do I get people to want to come and buy it besides just, you know, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that challenging mindset, you know, on stuff. I like that. So cool. Cool. Well, man, I've enjoyed this. Um, I, I, uh, I, uh, I always like visiting with different people about, you know, that have gone beyond just the fact of being, you know, whatever it is and, and going to another level and still find it challenging and not sitting back and going, okay, so now, you know, so you pull your gun and you shoot it, you know, yeah. how do you get better at it or whatever you do, you know, whatever you're doing. So now you, um, so you have a, a, a business now that's yeah. called green ops yeah. and you, um, and you're also on trigger time, trigger, what is it called? Trigger time TV. Yep. Trigger time TV. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so where it's just, it's teaching, uh, you know, on shooting and whatever it is, but it's also, uh, you know, advanced stuff too, that, uh, there would get specialists, different specialists in on different stuff to give you more, you know, of an insight of how to improve and get better at whatever. Is is that primarily what you do or what's the main, what's the main objective of, of green ops? Uh, so green ops is, it's, uh, you know, it's a company I formed years ago when I was doing contract work overseas, you know, I used it as a way to, uh, you know, to, to, have a corporation to, mm-hmm. to train folks. And so at the time when I was in North Carolina, I was just training government, military and civilians preparing to go overseas, you know? Um, and then when I would go overseas, the government would, you know, well, the contracts would pay, not me, but they'd pay green ops. Um, and then years later, when I moved to Northern Virginia, I uh, started training, you know, open enrollment civilians up in there. Um, and so I've got about, I think close to about eight instructors back in Northern Virginia. Uh, I left there. I moved out here to San Antonio, and uh, the instructors out there are fire and forget. Amazing instructors. Uh, matter of fact, I think today we're running a class, but all of our classes in Northern Virginia uh, continue to sell out, literally sell out. You know, um, and it's a huge change from just having a class of three or four to now I've got classes filled with twenty-something people. Wow. And uh, but again, I have multiple instructors out there that do a fabulous job of. Uh, of training people out there phenomenal backgrounds i've got a another former green beret out there i've got a a nipsic grandmaster uh competitive shooter i've got a couple of rangers that just are amazing guys um some of them who are uh 
still in the military and then some of them who were, you know, um, legends in the Ranger community and uh, were, uh, you know, Grenada, Panama type guys. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but it, even at their age are still shooting competitions and stuff like that with the younger guys. And, you know, oh, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. And then we moved out here to San Antonio. Um, I got hooked up with uh, Sons of Liberty Gunworks is a local company. They make carbines here. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm on their pro staff. And another, I mean, just a local San Antonio business that is just, you know, they build carbines and they're just taken off because they're, patriotic americans you know yeah i uh, try to go down to the shop as much as i can i need to spend more time down there but i love their guns they're phenomenal they have they make beautiful guns that are i just i can't say enough great things about them i think that's um, what tim had was one of those that we shot out the out at the place good uh, lord you, that you, thing i've I, that there's a difference oh yeah yeah total you know? difference and, and that's a so i have a i have a, a couple of their guns and so when uh, people come to a green ops carbine class here in Texas area, I let them shoot those guns. If somebody doesn't have <laughs> it's a gun. It's the best selling point yeah. that you can do is just letting them shoot one. Yeah. Um, and then we've even got a couple owners that we give out. You know, if someone comes to a class and, you know, they don't, or they want to, they obviously they have to coordinate with us, but, hmm. you know, if they want to use one of the Sons of Liberty Gunworks guns, then we'll, well, yeah, yeah, you can come through and borrow this gun while you're going through the training. Um, but I've got uh, about, I've got three, maybe four instructors here in San Antonio, and we're running classes uh, at least at least two to three a month, you know. Um, and you know, it's interesting going from a um, a culture out in Northern Virginia where people are more uh, likely to say, "Hey, I don't know enough about guns." Then we moved out here, and people, everyone seems to be a gun expert until they uh, <laughs> miss that target. Now, yeah, I think that you know the the reality of it is that you can own an airplane. It doesn't make you a pilot. Yeah. You can own a piano. It doesn't make you a pianist, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the problem with people is they don't, they, they overestimate their skills and abilities um, with a firearm. Um, and I, I just, I think people need to seek out training. You know? oh, it's nothing about being humbled on something yeah. of what you think, you know, something about. And, um, you know, I think this is the same thing with, you know, the horse industry, you know, you got, you know, every 16 year old little girl, you know, Thinks she's a horse trainer yeah. kind of deal, and there's a, there, there's different levels of it, you know. I mean, you can you can I can shoot a gun, yeah, you can shoot a gun, but do you like? Are you going to shoot somebody that you shouldn't be shooting if right. you're shooting a gun? Yeah. Um, uh, so something I've always wanted to, or I've felt like would be a really, gosh, a really beneficial deal, right, for myself, is um, and for my family, I'm not, I don't need to learn well. I mean, you know, like CQB or close, close quarter battle uh, type shooting, I probably would be beneficial to know how to do that more, right? But just um, it's not going to be something that's going to be I'm going to use or would be um, I would have to have a concern to be using anywhere else besides my house, right? Yeah. And I've always wondered or what I would thought it would have been a really cool deal to be able to have somebody come out to my place, right? And, um, you know, and if there was, what's the probability of, you know, there being an invasion in, you know, Boulevardy, Texas? Well, they're probably not that great. But um, but somebody trying to break into my house? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that probability gets higher, right? Yeah. 
And so if that with me having kids in the house and their rooms are over one spot, my house, my room's over another and whatever else, somebody to come into my place, my property or my house and go through my place and go, you know, so this is a functional firearm for what you're wanting to do. This is a game plan. If this, if something happens, there's a question about it. Your kids should go here. You go there. Everybody knows where they're supposed to be. And, and something that it's a, you know, when it was it used to be in in grade school, we'd have a fire drill. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're like, you have a fire drill. Like, have a fire drill every once in a while. And hey, dad's, you know, and my kids would probably go, look, dad's doing his dumb thing again. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah, yeah. We got to go and sit in the closet. Uh-huh. You know, but but that what what makes sense to do? Yeah. You know, what what yeah. should you do? Because it's not something that we're not thinking about. And right. so we're completely unprepared for, you know, a situation like that. You know, what are you going to do? Um, and what is, you know, from somebody who's an expert, you know, like, man, I'd, it would be beneficial to have somebody come out and do that. And then as you're doing that, you go, okay, so here is, you know, you'll be able to, you know, even be able to sound sales on then of, you know, like, well, so here's the gun that I think you ought to have, or here's the kind of defense, you know, or, you know, like you're not going to shoot any more than, than what you're doing. And you, the, the firearm, like you need to walk around with a bat. <laughs> this is what you need. Here's the Louisville slugger. This yeah. is what you need to carry around, you know, or whatever it is. But what's the smart thing to do right. from somebody who knows, you know, what should happen and been in that situation? I've always thought that would be something really beneficial for on a on an urban type of, you know, uh, business. Yeah. And you wouldn't be selling it. That wouldn't be a business for your, you know, contractors going overseas or whatever. But right. But it would make something, it would make sense seeing in my house and what I should do. And it'd be an individualized deal. And that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. No, there's, uh, I mean, we're, um, you know, we have taught uh, classes, you know, like room clearing type classes for civilians. We bring those up and discuss them. You know, we don't really individualize, but we bring up, uh, you know, like, hey, this is, this is a thought process of why we do what we do. You know, like most people don't realize that you know, bullets go through walls. Yeah. Um, they go through people and walls, you know? Right. Um, but they don't realize that, you know, if you shoot somebody that that bullet's going to travel through them and then what's on the other side, you know? Um, so, you know, for us, you know, when we would do CQB, one of the things that we would typically do is uh, we would, you know, hold left and maybe push right. And by doing that, that means you don't go to the left, you're clearing around and counterclockwise right because if you have forces coming around and what happens is they end up shooting at each other you know right um so you know you have to realize that based on that you need to be able to do or visualize uh, or not just visualize but conceptualize the same process of hey if i'm going to shoot somebody here what room is behind that you know mm-hmm. um yeah because me and i know my dad was um he was, uh, he's got a, a, a shotgun that, you know, he wanted to have in the house. And, and you know, so he was like going to do his own experiment and see how many, you know, two by fours that it was going to go through yeah. whenever he's buying the defense ammo for the, you know, for a, a shotgun, right? For yeah. a breech gun, right? And um, and he bought some ones that had the like big ball bearings in them or whatever yeah, else. And, shot, yeah. yeah. And um, he shot that and then a slug, I mean, he had a slug or something like that. It was like, good Lord, man, yeah. that thing will go through like a lot of stuff. You yeah. don't, uh, you don't, I don't think you want that inside your right. house. Right. If you have more than, you know, if it's like, you know, if there's 
one couple in there and there's nobody else, well, maybe so. But right. you do want to kind of like put one through a couple of walls if there are somebody in there that shouldn't be in my house. Yeah. But if I've got kids in other rooms and stuff, like, man, that's not what I want. That's not what yeah. I should have in there. And most th- houses aren't made of two by fours. They're made of sheetrock everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, I mean, one of the things obviously is, um, you know, there's, um, there's buckshot, you know, for shotgun. And then there's a home defense that's not quite buckshot. I can't remember what it's called, but it's made to, to not over penetrate, you know, um, Maybe like birdshot. And yeah, but you, you don't want to, sh- I mean, that's the other thing is that birdshot is there. People, um, get shot with birdshot all the time. I mean, yeah. Dick Cheney shot somebody with birdshot, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but it didn't, it didn't kill him. Right. And no. so that's why you have more than one. In there. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the, the truth is that, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that would recommend birdshot, but I would never recommend birdshot for uh-huh. self-defense, you know? Um, cause if, I mean, if you're, if you're getting to the point where you're using a uh, shot, you're using a firearm, the goal is to stop the threat. Right. Right. And if somebody is, um, has a different mentality of you're not stopping me and you shoot them, with birdshot, well, now he's they're yeah. just getting angrier. Now he's now. mad. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, that's the funny. They had uh, the Gracies. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but they had said um, they they asked which would you, uh, he asked everybody else which would you which is better to you know have an arm bar or a choke, which one is better to go for, and um, and they were you know everybody had their own opinion whatever else, and he said no, it's a choke. Why is it? Why is choke better? Is it because nobody fights after they are choked out? Right. If you break an arm, there's still plenty of guys that have another arm that they're going to take you out with. No, you that's know? true. You yeah. know, so you would, you would, if you can, you want to work towards a choke. Right. Right. So I thought that was impressive yeah. or an in, in, in interesting point of view on it. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. Now it's funny that you know you say those drills because my wife and I practice. You know, we practice. So you know, getting to the kids' room. You know. Um, we practice clearing to there because the reality of it too is, you know, a lot of places will tell you there's no need for civilians to learn CQB or room clearing. Well, there's plenty of reasons, you know, I mean, if, like you said, if somebody breaks into your house, how, you know, the, the, the answer is, well, you should just stay in your room. Well, I'm not, not staying in my room. I'm going to my children's room. Yeah. You know? So from getting from that room to the other room is going to require some form of room clearing. You know? Yeah. Um, if you came home and, uh, you heard screaming and your front door was busted open. Are you going to wait or call nine call nine one one or, you know, you're going to go in and try to see if that everything's okay. You know, that's some form of room clearing. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's a uh, it's stuff that you know you don't have to be in full battle rattle and kit and stuff like that <laughs> and uh, you know camouflaged up and everything. But the 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 concepts and principles are the same as angles. You know, angles are a big part of room clearing you know yeah um but i think it's very practical for civilian home defense uh, i think it's very practical for especially for law enforcement uh you know a lot of stuff that they would only teach swat swat cops back in the day i think the reality of it is that your first responders are people who show up are going to be patrol officers so they should probably be the ones you know learning yeah. a lot of this stuff out there um, but unfortunately, they save and reserve that for the higher level teams or tier level type guys. But that would be the same thing as more training for the guys that are on the street. Right. And like that's exactly. that's the training, yeah. like the practice. You got to yeah. practice that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because um, the amount of investment 
after you know is is not as much as people think you know like mm. we talked about dry fire you know um the other issue is you know well room clearing well you don't have to live fire or do simulations you can do like tim did with you tape drills you know just practice basic stuff like that you know um combatives heck you could you could spend a couple of minutes a day just going over a choke an arm bar or you know how to handcuff somebody and you figure you know it would be a minimal amount of time to have really great um you know improvement in a short period of time right yeah. unfortunately all of those things take discipline yeah and there's yeah. a lot of that you know life gets in the way and some people just don't have the discipline to be able to do that yeah. um but you would hope that somebody in law enforcement are you know interested enough in their job that they, that's what they wanted to do yeah. it's something they pursue you don't you know you don't see a whole lot of you know police officers it was like well there wasn't nothing else available so this is what i did you know yeah. you see yeah. most of your police officers are are you know motivated enough individuals that they want to serve and so you know you would see somebody that you know like that you come home you know it, you almost have to be inspired to do it right you, know, you come home ah, dad's the weirdo he comes in and he clears the house yeah. when he comes yeah. in every day you know but something like that to practice on doing you just kind of fall into a routine of you know like giving tickets every day or something like yeah. that and make it kind of hard but you'd have to have specific training to yeah. be able to do that i don't know this is kind of kind of interesting i think that that's something that i would i i kind of and then you know you know being a dad somebody else tells my kids to do something they'll probably do it if i'm yeah, telling them to do yeah. it they're all like think i'm crazy yeah. so having somebody else come in and say it <laughs> probably helped a little bit yeah. i went to a uh i went to a civilian uh, uh it was a law enforcement course but it was run by civilians and uh the head instructor was a former police officer and he was you know, really good shape, phenomenal shooter. Um, and then we did some like, uh, um, retention gun stuff. And you could tell this guy was like just amazing at stand up grappling, you know? And, uh, he was a police officer, you know? And, uh, I asked him, you know, I said, look, dude, I've dealt, you know, I was in the military, so I had dealt with law enforcement, but never anyone at his level. And I said, Hey dude, like what, what makes you different than the rest of these guys? And he goes, my first week on the job, I got in a shootout and I got in a fight. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he goes, I did not perform well in the shootout. And he goes, I did not perform well in the fight. He goes, so after that, I started uh, training on my own. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because you talk about that motivation, like what do the people need? And to him, it was, you know, almost getting killed in a gunfight and then getting his butt beat in a fight, you know? <laughs> yeah, ain't nothing worse than getting your butt beat in a fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, he, he became the opposite of what he, you know, thought was good and, uh, you know, became much better at everything by just training over and over again, uh, doing it on his own. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's sad to say sometimes that's what it takes is a little bit of motivation of, yeah. you know, what can happen oh, and yeah. almost like yeah. thankful that you did get that yeah. instead of get the other that, you know, you were the guy that got, you know, yeah. That it happened to that you know you get shot your first. Oh yeah, and you know uh, so in Northern Virginia you'd be surprised how many folks that were coming to our classes, especially like our our pistol classes, um, that were uh, you know, even a, a carving for home defense. But they would come and uh, they were like, yeah, I was I was anti gun, anti gun, anti gun. I'm like, well, what what changed? And I was robbed. But they, but they, they were in a position where they um, were um, 
realize that they knew nothing about guns mm-hmm. and they become some of the better students because you know when you live in a place like like for example texas i think everybody owns a gun in texas pretty mm-hmm. much you know but then they become overconfident in their abilities you know mm-hmm. um and it's just like in special forces we carried knives everybody carried a knife you know pocket knife blah blah, blah this blah, blah that and we had a knife trainer come down and he goes uh guys are like ah, i don't know why we need this guy and he goes okay he goes and he took a stick with a glove a boxing glove on the end of it and he goes all you gotta do is cut this stick that's all you just gotta whip it out ready here it comes and he would punch guys with this glove and no one could take the knife out of their pocket employ it and cut that stick before it the boxing glove hit him and he's like all right i did that to everybody gave you multiple chances not one of you was able to do that are you ready to listen and it got our attention because we had been all carrying these knives and not been able to access and employ them in a timely manner you know yeah, I uh, Tim said to me one time, he's like, you weren't because he's crazy good oh, with the amazing. knife. That, yeah. that, uh, what is it called? That stick and knife deal that oh, he does, Screamer? yeah, Screamer. Oh, yeah. Golly, like yeah. he's crazy good with that. And, um, and he said, Yeah, if you ever want to know, you know, what it's like to be in a knife fight, just, just give a three year old a marker with no tip on it and see if you can get away from it without it getting marked all over you. It's like, <laughs> yeah. wow, I mean, yeah, that's kind of worrisome, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's something about a knife fight, you're going to get cut, you yeah. know? You got to, you know, that's a, that's a almost, that's a pretty scary thing in itself, oh, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. that, that's a, people go, oh, he's got a knife, and I shouldn't. Man, that's, that is a life ending deal. That is yeah. just as threatening as any kind of, you know, firearm, too. More, more so, I think, statistically speaking, that um, I had read a, an article that talked about in the ER that uh, you had a greater chance of survivability if you were shot than if you were stabbed. Wow. Yeah. And I was blown away by that, you know? That is, um, because of the, 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 I, I guess because the bullet goes through, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not a medic or anything like that, but uh, as opposed to the way the the knife cuts and rips, and, you know, multiple things, whereas the, um, where the bullet's through. And, and I, guess, I would wonder if maybe like cauterizes parts or whatever else too, or I don't know, uh, crazy. But the knife is a scary deal, man. Yeah. yeah. Tim always sends me some kind of crazy, you know, foreign video of somebody, you know, trying to, police officers trying to handle oh, a guy with yeah. a machete and stuff. And it's like, Oh my God, yeah. those are horrifying. <laughs> deals. That, is, that is scary. Yeah. Like you come at me with a, with a, you know, machete, I'm putting a couple of holes in you. <laughs> I'm not going to play with the machete. Uh, yeah, not at all. And that's, that's scary. Case, there's a lot of, um, a lot of folks don't understand. Like, um, like there's a, a drill, we call it a tool or drill, the 21 foot drill. And it's basically where, you uh, run, the average person can run 21 feet in 1.5 seconds. Yeah, that he was, Tim was, that's crazy deal, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what's the, what is that drill? You tooler drill or the 21 foot drill um, or rule. Uh, but basically what you'll do is you'll have someone bring them, we'll bring them up into a classroom environment and say, okay, here's 21 feet. Um, and then you put a timer um, of 1.5 and have them run and they can almost always hit your hand in you know, less than 1.5 seconds, you know? So they were able to cover that ground and they're like, okay, now if they had a knife and they were coming at you in 1.5 seconds, can you employ your firearm? And then guys are like, oh yeah, they can on a perfect standing still target right? Uh, on the timer. Well, the thing is that when does the timer actually start? 
when the individual becomes a threat, well, when does the individual become a threat? You know, mm-hmm. well, they start moving towards you. Does that mean they're a threat? Well, if you don't have, if they don't have a knife in their hand, but they're running towards you. And then halfway through, they yeah. bring out the knife, <laughs> you know, and now you're 1.5 seconds and yeah. your 21 feet have just been greatly diminished as far as time and distance. So yeah, if they're walking the first five or the first right. 10, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's going like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, and, you know, and those are the things that would be something that as a police officer, you know, in that, that, you know, role, that'd be, that's, that would be a game changer, Oh yeah, you know, because yeah. you would want to try and talk somebody out. Man, it's all it is, is putting your life further and further into danger, the closer and closer yeah. they're getting. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of questions from the public of like, hey, why did this police officer shoot this oh, person? Yeah. It's like well because they don't understand the 21 foot rule or the or the reason behind it you know um so based on that's another thing i think in law enforcement there's not not a lot of education to the public about why they do what they do mm. um but um you know i think it, it also on the other side is just, you know civilians need to educate themselves you know yeah um you know we always tell folks that um you look at the average law enforcement uh, police academy in the U.S. is uh, 40 hours to uh, to learn how to operate a pistol or a handgun. You know, some some places will teach more than 40 hours, but on average, nationwide, it's about 40 hours. And then after that, um, you know, they get an additional eight hours a year to somewhere. Uh, sometimes it's eight hours every four four months, you know, or every quarter. So I always recommend to civilians that they should take um, their first year that they really want to start carrying a firearm is that they take two 16-hour classes, all right? So that's 32 hours. Um, if they really wanted to get into it, they could take three classes that first year. Um, but I think two to three is, is a good sign for that one year. Just somewhere, and they don't have to be back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every year after that, they just do an additional 16-hour or two-day course, you know? And you'll find in a shorter period of time that they'll be more proficient than the average law enforcement officer when it comes to employing the firearm. Wow. And that's not including if they do something like competition or they do dry fire on their own. Um, and then the skill levels just continue to rise. You know? And, you know, it's um, it's a whole game changer when you're wearing it. Oh, yeah. Like that's if you're not comfortable wearing it, if you're not, I mean, I, that's a whole different deal is, you know, yeah. getting it, like being able to get it out. It's, or just d- daily activities, you know. I don't, mm-hmm. can't count how many times you're reading the paper about somebody left the gun in the HEB bathroom, or oh. you know, or they left it on the hook of the stall, or you know, or, <laughs> or, or you're you're in the bathroom and in the stall next to you, you hear this clunk clunk. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, people they they don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, one of the first things I tell folks is, look, you know, if we're we're at a range and you're going to go to the bathroom. The first thing you need to do is close that lid, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because that's the last thing you want, especially with the port- <laughs> it out of the- Porta Johns, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the first thing you do. And it's the first thing you do when you're done before you go back to picking up the firearm is you close the lid again, because if you're pulling your trousers up and that lid is open, but you know, the potential of it falling is there, you know, yeah. I mean, and it goes to the highest levels. I mean, there was a reporter on one of the Air Force One aircraft uh, one time that uh, found a gun in the bathroom and it belonged to one of the Secret Service agents. Oh. You know? So, um, mm. you know, and, and, you know, some of the high, again, 
guy who highest trained yeah, kind of people, exactly. right? So and that's where you, it's a, either the lack of proficiency or the or the uh, getting so comfortable you you know you yeah. get a little lax in it yeah. because it's too routine. Yeah. So if it can happen to them, yep. then the reality of it is that we need to be uh, mature enough to say what well, could happen to me. Mm -hmm. admit that and then once we realize our faults or potential faults and we just need to seek higher training and uh practice more yeah it's like in everything though isn't it yeah yeah it's yeah. like in everything yeah cool well, cool man i may have to get you guys to come out and go through my house yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be kind of i think that's practical stuff yeah it i is. uh yeah. but uh yeah now i just yeah i keep wanting to employ the idea but now with the dry fire that's even better exactly um like a little bit of wild bill yeah. clearing the gun every day. <laughs> every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Uh, my goal is to try to do a couple repetitions just every day, you know, yeah. um, on a timer too. So I don't just go through the motions. I have a timer, you know? Um, I saw you doing an instructional on a guy that was, I can't remember. I think it might've been a carbine that he was shooting and I, you were timing him and trying to make him faster. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh my God, that guy was fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah, fast yeah, already. Yeah, and then right. working on him, timer. like, yeah. that was crazy fast. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were using a timer, uh, but that was a live fire. But, you know, I have uh, on like, and, and I had an actual timer, and the timers cost, you know, anywhere from 100 to 150 bucks, you know. And a lot of people were just like, hey, I don't want to buy a timer, you know, or I'm yeah. not going to invest in a timer. But, you know, we've all got these these iPhones and, and there's Android. apps for all of that. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. So I, I have an app called Shot Timer on my uh, on my iPhone. And I think it's uh, I think at one time it was called Free Shot Timer. Yeah. To, at one time. <laughs> they, but they just. Yeah, it is. It says Free Shot Timer on there. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, people, they're like, oh, I don't want to pay a dollar for a shot timer. You know, like, look, it says Free Shot Timer. Come on. Um, but. And, you know, is what I'm doing is that I'm putting it on a random start. So I begin my movement on the first beat and then I put a part time, which will give me a second beat. So I want to complete my motion before the second beat. Huh. So random time, beep, I'll continue, I'll do my movement and then ideally perform it or get the site up on target before that second beat. Hmm. Um, cause people are, they don't know how to use, they don't know how to, they don't know how to use or incorporate the timer and, and for the dry fire, they're like, well, it doesn't pick up my shots. Well, it's not meant to pick up the shots. It's just simply meant to give you a part time when you put it on that, that, that manner. That's a good idea. And then the other thing is that people will put it on a time that they're comfortable with. And I tell them that's, that's the second mistake. You know, they need to lower that time right. where it becomes, where they're chasing it. And I, and I'll tell them, you know, as an example, you know, January 1st, we go to the gym, you know, what do we see January 1st in the gym? You know, a bunch of new faces, right? And it's usually, you know, we'll just generalize here, but usually it's a, an overweight person or a really thin person. The overweight person wants to lose weight and the thin person wants to gain weight. They want to, you know, get muscle mass. I go, but a, a month later, do we see those people? Hmm. They usually don't. And they give up because they're not, they didn't get the feedback that they needed or wanted. Um, and because they were working out the wrong way, usually, you know, the overweight person is puts the treadmill on the lowest setting and walks while they're drinking a Slurpee or something like that, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, but they don't have what they need by putting it on the lowest weight and the, or the lowest time uh, or, 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 or whatnot. But the, uh, the, the really thin person takes the weights 
and they'll usually pick up a really light weight, you know, and just do a couple reps, you know, and so they're not getting what they need. But the, the problem that they're both missing is resistance. Mm -hmm. So what is that resistance? Well, the, you know, the, the heavyweight guy needs to go ahead and put the, uh, the, the speed up a little faster, you mm -hmm. know, get more resistance on the treadmill and he needs to sweat. And same thing with the the really thin guy is he needs to lift heavier weight, you know. It's uh, and it's, the same goes for dry fire. Yeah, These guys go to that one speed, and it's not, it's it's comfortable, so they never get better at the motions. Right. I um, when we're training horses, right, it's kind of the same deal. If you want one to get better and better and improve, and 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 at a. Uh, they need to be challenged, yes. right? There has to be some kind of, there's a, there's gotta be a, a, a target or a marker that we're going to try and reach. Right. Yeah. And, and I, the, the analogy that I use whenever I'm, I'm teaching that, or I'm trying to get somebody to understand how they, they have to push your horse. If not, they're never going to get any better. Okay. You can stagnate and do it at a, you know, slow backyard speed that, you know, whatever you're doing, and you may be, you know, what you think is proficient at that, but you're never going to, if you don't challenge, you're never going to go and step up. And what I always explain to them, because it's just something that everybody knows, right? Is learn how to drive a car. Yeah. You, um, you get proficient at driving 30 miles an hour in the parking lot. That's great. You know, but then whenever you're pushed up to do 45 miles an hour, when you get out on the first little road, you know, you start white knuckling it. And, and if you white knuckling it and you're getting nervous, but that's fine. You, you, you're not expected to know it and be proficient at it at first. But right. if you do that and you challenge yourself at 45 miles an hour, then when you go back to the parking lot at 30 miles an hour, you're even more relaxed and even better. So that everything slows down and you're able to handle the parking lot even better. Exactly. Then when you go to move to the highway, you're white knuckling at it at 65 miles an hour, right? And then, then, but when you come back to driving in the inner city at 45 miles an hour, you're much more proficient. You have to push beyond your limits. Yeah. In order to become proficient at yours, and you're not, and the thing about not doing that is that you will if you don't, and you you want to be proficient at 45 miles an hour. If you constantly work at 45 miles an hour, you're never gonna be proficient at it, right? Because that's your limit. Yes. You may be proficient at 40, right? But 45, you're never proficient right. at it. That and the worst part is you didn't know that your limitation was really at 60 because you never went past 45. Right. Yeah. So you have to, in order to find out what my limit is, I have to push past that limit yeah. and I can find a limit and that's fine. But if you never challenge the horse or the people, right? You get a couple of different things you get. If you don't challenge, you get the guy that gets bored and it's like, well, that's, you know, I just, there's no challenge in that. Right. The guy that wants to do something or wants to exceed and wants to excel is going to give up on it because it's just not a challenge. Yeah. The other one that, you know, is a little timid and doesn't, you know, and doesn't know if they can do that and is not as secure in it. They get pushed. They might get rattled. But at the same time you get rattled, you didn't know that you could handle that part. Right. And when you did, you built more confidence up in that person yeah. to be able to go to the next. Right. And I think that, you know, in doing that, whether it's shooting or whatever else, or even with your kids, I'm like, if you don't. That's why I'm against the participation trophy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just a whole thing, right? Yeah. Because there has to be resistance, 
even with our kids, right? Yeah. A good father is not going to sit there and go and, you know, well, we're all, you're good yeah. enough. And that yeah. was good enough. It's not because I'm trying to knock you down on anything, but I want you to know that you can push past that. You don't have to be the world's best in this. That's not our objective. My son had his first football game uh, last week or this past week. And, um, and they lost. And he was, he, when we came back from it, right. I mean, he was, um, like visibly upset, yeah. right. It really, it really bothered him that, you know, this loss. Right. And, um, <laughs> and I go, I, we were talking about it and stuff and I go, so let me explain to you the smile on my face <laughs> because I'm not happy that you lost for you. Right. I'm not, it, that's not what I'm smiling at. I'm smiling because you're not happy with the loss. Yeah. That's, yeah. there's something to be said about that. Yeah. That's where you grow, right? That's where you're going to get better at yeah. these things because you challenged yourself. Now, there was a kid that, um, that was in the game on the other team, right? He was bigger than the rest of them and stuff. And, and, uh, and when they were losing and they were coming back, right? This other team started coming back. This kid could trash talk, yeah. right? And it, it rattled every one of those boys. And these boys are really nice kids. Yeah. I mean, these boys are really nice boys. And all of a sudden, I don't know that they've ever been trashed on, right? <laughs> and it took their emotions and yeah. it jacked them up, right? Cool. Yeah. It was more pressure, yeah. right? All of a sudden, they've been hitting and they're hitting their buddy. So they're not like tackling the buddy hard or whatever. This kid laid a couple of them out. Oh, wow. I mean, like hit, right? Wow. And it was like JV and they were like, it was on, right? And those poor kids, they had, there was a lot of them was their first football game. And a lot of them, they didn't even have their pads for the last four days no, <laughs> before. No. So they just got it. And, it. and it was an emotional deal for him. Yeah. But I said, you know, now that you're sitting here off, you know, on the side and we're talking about it and you got smack talk and you got emotional and you never really hit anybody in there in that game, right? And he was like, no. And I said, do you wish you had? And he said, yeah, now I'm like, I wish I had done that. And I said, now, next time, you better not walk off that field yeah. wishing that you had left something on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's something to be said about that. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so now he's going to, like, he's going to go in with some motivation. And I'm like, you've got to keep it in check. Yeah. You know, he can't go out there and I don't want you necessarily being the trash talker and the that guy. But now, next time the next guy does trash talk you, you can realize what it is for what it is. And now you'll know what to do and how to handle it rather than internalize that, shut down and not do it. Yeah. Right. And you got it. It's in everything. That's what yeah. sports are about. You know, that's what we're in. And I know it was pretty hard, probably hard for him. You know, me smiling <laughs> afterwards yeah. and going, oh, gosh, like this is what it was all about. Right. This yeah. is why I mean, I, he's yeah. not going to make the NFL. Yeah. Now, that's, that's not my objective. My objective is to like create adversity now so that whenever he's later on, he's like he can handle it better. Yeah, no, you know? it's, it's true. I mean. It's growth, you know. I mean, as uh, as we're you're talking about like driving, um, I went to a driving course and they had us go almost 100 miles an hour before a curve was coming up, <sighs> and um, you know I would slow down, shave off speed, shift the weight, you know, to the front, and then I would go around. And the instructor was like, "You just you're not going fast enough on a curve," and uh, you know he's do it again, do it again, and they timed the the lap, you know. It's like you you're not doing it right. And uh, he finally goes, all right, let's do it again. And we went and we drove 
And I took my foot off the gas and I was getting ready to step on the brake. And he reached over with his foot and put it on the gas. <laughs> and so I'm freaking out. Yeah. He ran off the road and crashed the car, right? Uh, I had to get a new car um, that brought a tow truck out. But he asked me, he goes, do you think you can go faster? And I said, yes. And he goes, why? And I go, because now I know where the limit is. Yeah. I never knew. I never pushed myself to the limit. I never pushed myself to know that if I had kept going faster, that I could have taken my foot off the gas, not so soon, but much later Yeah. before I started applying the brakes. And so I did, I ran it again and I had the fastest time, my, my personal best record for that one time on that lap. Yeah. And he's like, you got to know where your limits are. You know, you have to exceed them. And the same with shooting, you know, if you're constantly shooting a tight group, you know, you don't know how fast you go and people are like, well, then I'll miss. It's fine. In training, it's good to miss. You know, it's just like on the track, you know. Yeah. Um, Mistakes are where you yeah, learn. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, and if you're not used to dealing with those mistakes and trying to figure out ways to go faster, then in life, it's going to hurt you. So yeah. when I went to selection for special forces, I remember the uh, general coming in and saying, hey, how many of you here are um, Olympic level, professional level athletes? We had people that were alternates on Olympic teams and, you know, that wow. were, um, had maybe been trained for the Olympics and same with professional sports athletes. I think we had a, a guy who was an alternate, not an alternate, but played, uh, on a, a professional football team or something like that. But we had those folks in that, you know, in selection there with us. And so the guy goes, look around, you know, look around, remember this. And then at the very last day of selection, that general gets out there and goes, Hey, how many folks here are, are those, were those Olympic level, professional level athletes that we identified? And no one raised their hand. And the guy, the general goes, Okay, I want you to remember that. He goes, Do you know why those people aren't here? Because they, they failed or they quit. He goes, The reason being is that they were at such a high level that they weren't used to ever losing, you know? And mm. he goes, We put you in positions where you weren't going to make the mission. How did you react? Well, the ones that are here, you drove on. You're like, well, I can't quit. I have to keep going. Those folks weren't used to losing because they were at the highest levels, right? They didn't have the mentality. They had the physicality. They just didn't have the mental fortitude to go, okay, I, I didn't make the mission. So they were so upset that they probably quit, you know? Mm. And uh, it's like, you have to be Boy. able to deal with this this loss. Of Is that not a life it. lesson? Oh, yeah, it was huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, you know, we've had, you know, guys at that Olympic level and professional level, you know, make it through, you know, in the past. But it brought up a really great point of, hey, you know, you have to be able to accept the fact that there's going to be a time when you're probably not going to make that mission. You're not going to meet the standard, you know. So what do I do? How do I react? You know, I mean, on first contact of an ambush, you know, it's a, it's a surprise. You're the one being, you know, contacted. You didn't, you know, know this was going to happen. How do you react? Do you just give up and quit? Oh, okay, well, you guys got us, you know? Yeah. No, you fight through, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's going to be losses on the battlefield, you know? What do I do? Do I say, okay, that's it, we're done? You know, we had a mission to object, uh, an objective to get to, you know? Um, and then we have to realize that obviously, you know, life is not a battlefield, but we can take the same lessons learned, mm -hmm. you know, and accomplish that too. It's just like business, you know? You know, it's uh, someone once said, you know, um, those, those people who are successful in business, their friends call them lucky. <laughs> yeah. They don't see the failures, you know, 
They, yeah. they don't see the, the, the effort true. and pain and sweat. Yeah. So, so with, <clears throat> with, with knowing that, right. Um, and having a, a, one of the things that I think is like a, a plague with our, um, our military personnel, um, is the, the, the self-harm issues yeah. of afterwards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, but kind of speaking to those guys that understanding that this, you know, the troubles that you're, that you're dealing with or that you're, you're going through on, on these deals, that it's nothing different that, you know, the hard times when you come home and they adjust and whatever else, like that stuff is the same deal too, yeah. that that is, um, you adversity isn't something that you're plagued with it's a process of life Mm -hmm. and that you know learning and learning how to adapt to it learning how to deal with it some of it you know we can't change some of it you know you can change but um but that it is uh that that because you have the adversity it's not about you know, quitting or that we failed it. And, and in particular, what I'm referring to is the incidents that we're having right now in Afghanistan that, you know, it's not for all for naught. It wasn't all for naught that, that unfortunately we will never know just how much it did do because we didn't have there, how many attacks we didn't have on our homeland, how many, how much that it wasn't all for naught. It was for 18 years of not having that in our own backyard that was the purpose for all of that. And it wasn't, you know, purposely, purpose without a purpose that that we sacrificed men, that, you know, we had all these, you know, that that you guys went through that kind of stuff, that it wasn't, there was a purpose. There's a purpose and the purpose is because that's what kind of people we are, for one. But also that, you know, it did serve a purpose at that time. It wasn't meaningless. Right. <clears throat> and that the deals that we're going through right now, this isn't the end. It was, you know, it, it wasn't for no reason. It was to grow. Right. And you know what? Maybe our kids in the future will learn from it and will be leaders also yeah. and do it different the next time. Yeah. You know, in a different instance. And, um, but that's that's the kind of people we are that, you know, we're not the kind of people that shy from, from adversity, you know, that we embrace the adversity, not that we like it, you know, like it sucks, you know, (laughs) it's the whole embrace the suck. Right. But, but I didn't become a a good, a good horse trainer because I never messed up. Uh, There's plenty of horses out there that I got to apologize for. I apologize (laughs) to, for the things, you know, how I how well or didn't not so good that I trained or showed or competed or never brought them to their you know, their full potential, but those horses served me very well. Yeah, and there's some that I should apologize to or whatever, but I also think right that I had the opportunity, right? right? And right. and well, you had the opportunity to serve, and there is plenty of this nation that is grateful for those things yeah. too. And that it wasn't, we don't think that way. Media can tell you whatever the heck they want to tell you, right? But the majority of the Americans know the sacrifice. Um, 
but it wasn't for nothing. Right. And, and you can grow from this and we can, you know, it, it there's purpose in it, right? Yeah. It's not for no purpose whatsoever. Right. No, that's, that's important. I think to, uh, to point out too, you know, um, is that there, you know, we may not see the good, yeah. but you know, like you said, how many attacks were not taking place you know, because of what was yeah. going on over there. That's um, a shame that we don't get to know that. Right. I mean, and that's just, yeah. well, the other thing that you pointed out was, Hey, you know, we've got, um, we've got, um, Afghanis that are going to be in their twenties here who know no other life, but you know, living under a different regime. And so maybe there'll be enough, uh, uh, enough uh, resistance that they don't like the new regime, you know, yeah. and maybe they'll take charge and change things. And they're not far from there. A lot of them are closer in the fighting age too, that there is enough of a resistance and maybe, yeah. you know, we're not going to know what impact we had. Right. And it's the same thing as our kids, right? Yeah. You don't know what the impact you're, you know, something that happened in grade school, yeah. how it's going to form and formulate yeah. them. But it's, it's good to look back on, on like the water can deal, yeah. you know, <laughs> and something that happened that, and you go like, man, at the time that sucked. And, and at the time that was a, a deal, but man, you're still talking about it this yeah. far down the road that that little, that was one day, right? I mean, is that not incredible that yeah. that's that one day that was an impactful thing enough and you didn't, wouldn't have thought that it would be something that, you know, would, would change the course or, you know, solidify the course. You know, but it was, it was a, um, it was one of those deals that you look back and you go like, man, that was tough. Yeah. But also you're looking at it going, and I made it through and I can push to the next part. I hit 45 miles an hour and I never thought I could hit 45 miles an hour. Yeah. If you had a, you know, water can challenge right now, you're like, all right, so this is going to suck, but I know that what's on the other end, you know, and I, uh, maybe I'll have them carry it a little bit more on the younger guys or whatever, but it wouldn't be insurmountable. And it was almost insurmountable at that point. And, um, and when you got through it, it was almost like the knowledge that you could go through more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, think those things are impactful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What they, what, uh, what's the saying? What, what doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a degree of, uh, of truth to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah. It's all life, life lessons, you know? Yeah. And when you get to our age, we get to start sharing it with the other ones and then the young kids can roll their eyes about, you know, does it really, but it's, it's those deals like my son in the football game where it's like, Oh, I can't wait till a second game. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go see what he does and you know, how, how, you know, how much he grows from it and how much yeah. he puts into it. And, you know, hopefully they won't lose a second time and crush him more, but you know, they get yeah. some reward out of it and, and stuff. But that's good stuff. And you got young ones that are going to be, coming right up behind it and yeah you know ones that are older that are already ahead of it so yeah yeah, yeah. that's good stuff man that's good well cool man i uh i'm sure you got to move on for the day we like, talk forever <laughs> and that's my deal is i'm a talker and i can yeah. go forever yeah. but um but i appreciate you coming out and um dude appreciate your service yeah, too but um but I, even now like per you know it's not in the military but it's it's still a service too of informing and educating you know uh, you know, people on defending ourselves, what our country is built on. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So cool. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me out. Appreciate you it. You bet. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin and Brendan O'Reilly. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, 
Instagram, and YouTube at GoTime Ranch so you can come work with us each day to learn, have fun, and be inspired. For information on bookings and merchandise, please visit www.gotimeranch.com. 